Welcome to Matthew Felix, the radio episodes, Travelers on Travel. I'm Matthew Felix, author of the books With Open Arms, short stories of misadventures in Morocco, and the new Porcelain Travels. In February of 2018, what is now my Matthew Felix on Air video podcast began as an internet radio program in downtown San Francisco. The radio episodes, Travelers on Travel podcast, feature segments from that radio show, in which I talk travel with travel writers, journalists, photographers, and filmmakers. I hope you like the show. And don't forget to check out the current video podcast incarnation, Matthew Felix on Air, available here, as well as on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening, and talk soon. Hey, check out my new book, Porcelain Travels, Humor, Horror, and Revelation, In, On, and Around, Toilets, Tubs, and Showers, an Amazon number one new release in four categories, including travel humor, and winner of Gold for Humor in the 2018 Solas Awards for travel writing. You can also check out Porcelain Travels' companion podcast of the same name, which comprises readings from eight stories, including two recorded before a live audience. Porcelain Travels the Book is available in paperback and ebook on Amazon and other online retailers. That, of course, was Aretha singing Save Me, which is the song that might have been going through my next guest's head as he fled his captors in the Himalaya. And no, that's not a joke, at least not the part about his flight from Himalayan captors, uh, but we'll get to that shortly. Robert Holmes's career as one of the world's most successful and prolific travel photographers has extended over 35 years. He's the only photographer to be awarded the Society of American Travel Writers Travel Photographer of the Year Award five times, most recently for 2017, so clearly he's still got it going on. In 2015, he won both first and second place in the international Erasmus. How do you say that? It's obviously a Basque word. No you don't even know how to say it. All right. <laughs> Well, it's from your bio. The, the wine oh, company, Erzwies. Erzwies. I don't know how oh, you say it. Erzwies. Er, there you go. See, you didn't even oh, recognize yeah. it when Eretz I said it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how far off I was. Okay. Anyway, I think that, I bet that's a Basque word. I can tell by that. Anyway, whatever the name of that wine thing is, he won. <laughs> he won photographer of the year in 2015 for that, and then in 2016 he won it again, just to kind of prove that he could. But he also, in 2016, had the unprecedented honor of not only winning the Marks and Spencer Food Photographer of the Year Award, but three additional awards as well. Bob has worked for National Geographic, Geo, Saveur, Wine Spectator, Lifetime, and hundreds of other major magazines and international companies. His stock catalog of over half a million images is represented for licensing by Getty. His assignments have taken him from coverage of the 1975 British Everest, Everest expedition for the London Daily Mail and Paris Match to searching for snow leopards in the remote valleys of western Nepal for National Geographic to trekking into the rainforest of Borneo with Penn and Tribesmen for Islands Magazine to crossing the Great Indian Desert on camel for departures to Studio 1A right here in San Francisco, California. Bob has illustrated over 45 books, and he has regularly been one of the elite group of the world's 100 best photojournalists invited to participate in the acclaimed Day in the Life series. Do they still do that? They still do the Day in no. Life? Yeah, I didn't think so. He has authored, he has also authored and photographed the Traveler's Wine Guide to California that won a prestigious Lowell Thomas Award. Bob's passion for food and wine has led to the illustration of nine books on wine and six cookbooks. More recently, Bob has added film production to his talents because, again, he didn't have enough going on, producing videos for clients in the wine and hospitality industries in partnership with fellow photographer Andrea Johnson. 
Last but certainly not least, Bob is a fellow of both the Royal Geographical Society and the Explorers Club. Welcome, Bob. Well, thank you for being on my program today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's nice to be here. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I can see how this is going to go. So I guess the only thing you haven't done is be knighted. Is that is that is that in progress? Is that are they working on I've that? I've been benighted several times. Oh, you have been knighted? Benighted. You've been benighted. Yeah, I've been oh. benighted. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh, well, that's not what you meant. That's that's yeah. not actually what I what I meant. But we'll just move on. Were you will you be at the wedding? Is the other thing I was wondering. I haven't got my invitation. Haven't got the invitation. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 have the invitations gone out? I don't think they have. So. Okay. Well, that that would explain it. Yeah, that would. That would explain. explain it. I'm sure. I'm sure it's coming. Lastly, do you think uh, the crown should skip Charles and go straight to William? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's a tough one. That that's a tough, tough one because you've got a, a lot. One. Clearly, maybe that should just be another episode. <laughs> because clearly, clearly, I I'm struck not, on something that you've I'm got very. Not a royalist. You're not a royalist. I'm not a royalist. Oh, so it should skip. It should skip, skip. altogether. It should skip just out of skip. town and never come back. Okay. Yeah. Why? Well, okay. We'll talk about that on some other episode because I can tell there's a lot there to be talked about. For now, let's jump right into things. Let's talk about photography. So, so, so there goes my knighthood, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there goes the knighthood. So much for that. All right. Well, damn oh, it. Well, gonna keep damn it. I'm shit. sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Shit. All right. Well, maybe they're not listening, I but hope, I'm, yeah, I'm guessing they probably are. Yeah. Why photography, Bob? Why not? How, when, and why did you get started? Uh, I wanted to be, I wanted to do something in the arts. I tried painting. And became frustrated. That was when I was a teenager. Yeah. I wanted to go to art school. My parents frowned upon that because that was in the 60s and the Beatles had just emerged from art school and they were far from reputable. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that was next. My dad wanted me to take an academic degree, which I did. Um, and in what? What was your degree in? Various subjects, archi- largely architecture, architecture because uh-huh. of the design. I thought it was uh, the perfect compromise. Yeah, and it wasn't because architecture is just working on engineering problems, which yes. bored me stiff. Lots I of math. To design, right. I wanted to design buildings, and a young architect's not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. So I took a postgraduate course in city planning, and I became a planner. Okay, working with architects to design buildings, which was okay, except I was working for local government. Yeah. And all the time, I, w- I was a frustrated photographer. I was taking photographs continually okay. from when I was in school. I was a member of the School Photographic Society, then the University Photographic Society. And um, I was just very involved in fine art photography, which in a way led me to America because I met Ansel Adams when he came over to England in, I think, 1974. Oh, wow. And um, we spent some time together. And he said, if you're ever in California, give me a call. And come down and see me. How so, did this get left out of your biography on your website? That's that's a pretty significant uh pretty significant piece of the puzzle, part of your story. That's interesting. So can uh, you can you back up and tell me cuz you just kind of threw it out there. Oh yeah, we met. I'm presuming you didn't meet just on the street. How did you guys cross paths? Oh, I saw this old guy with a beard. So he looks He looks a, he looks familiar. He lo- he could be a photographer. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe no, maybe he, a famous I was, one. I was very involved in photography on an amateur level. And a fine art level, which in England tended to be on an amateur level. Um, and I was a member of the Royal Photographic Society, and he came over to give a talk at the RPS. Okay. And I met him there, and I'd, I hadn't, yeah, I had climbed in the Himalayas at that, at that stage, um, in 74. 
And we talked about climbing. He'd always wanted to go to the Himalayas because... Was he already doing Yosemite and all that, or...? Oh, yeah. He yeah, was, yeah. You know, he was in his later years. Okay, by this time, yeah. He was my age. Oh, my God. He was that old. Really? Really, really old. Really? Well, that doesn't happen yeah. very often. No, it doesn't. That you people make it I, that long. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, he's just one of these throwaway comments. that, well, if you're ever in California, you give me a call. Oh, wow. And most people now don't realize Ansel was in the Carmel phone book. Really? Yeah. And I, I, I stayed with him for two weeks. And every night, he, he worked from nine to five, writing usually, okay. um, working on his books. And at five o'clock every night, somebody come to visit him, who we didn't know. He'd invite him in. He would have a martini and sit and have cocktails. His house overlooked uh, Point Lobos. Okay. It's a fabulous location. It's still I there. No doubt it. His, yeah. his son and daughter-in-law live there now. Michael and Jeannie live in his house and um, would sit watching the sun go down. Ansel would be telling these stories every night, the same story. <laughs> okay. It was, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's amusing for the first couple of nights. Right. And then you think, oh, I'm not that So again. what do you mean that pe- strangers stopped by? You mean just people who yeah, people had him. sent him and introduced yeah, him? Yeah, they'd say, okay. oh, can, I, can, can I come and visit? Because people just knew that he and was he receiving loved, guests like that. He loved an audience. Interesting. He loved an audience. Yeah, yeah. He's a big showman. Uh-huh, yeah. okay, okay. So you were there for great. two weeks? Yeah, the first time, yeah, I came and stayed. And then um, that was in 77, I think. Okay. And then I came back and saw him again and then moved over here in 79. And was that, or at the same time here, are we talking about your transition then into photography as the main thing that you're doing, or are you well, still yeah, doing architecture went, and things at I that went, time? I covered Everest in 75, and I realized then I got three months special leave from my office okay. as a city planner. And um, it was such a great trip. And I just want to say that this trip was the first time that anyone had scaled a face of Everest, right? This was... It was the... Yeah, I think that is true. It was the southwest face. Yep. And it was the hardest route. It was one of the hardest Himalayan routes ever. And it was the first time a Brit had got to the summit. Yeah, and Wikipedia had said it was the first successful climb of Mount Everest by ascending one of its faces. Yeah, that's what they were referring true. to. Yeah. I wasn't sure about the North Face, but yep. yeah, it's probably true. Yep. And it happened to be climbed by one of my best friends in England, Doug Scott. Okay. And we grew up together. And, and that's how you ended up on that, on that trip? Yeah. 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 Okay. And that's the trip that got you into doing this kind it of... Got me, it got me to think about making a living doing it. Mm-hmm. I was doing it all the time. Right, right. And then the following year I covered, um, you know, that woman that lives in London whose grandson's getting married. I covered her Jubilee mm. tour. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. She was with her husband. Rings a bell. Uh, yeah. Rings a bell. He, I don't think he, he just stopped working recently, I think. I think he He working. says things sometimes that he later regrets and he's got a whole team of people Not to kind sometimes. of cover it up. Continu- or, continu- yeah, continu- daily. Yeah, daily. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Makes, they made a TV show about him, I think, on one yes, of the channels here. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I covered her Jubilee tour in England, Okay. in the Midlands of England. I didn't cover the whole tour. Yeah. But I covered it for the BBC. Okay. And um, that was interesting, to put it mildly. There were three people. Journalists are given what's called a Royal Rotor Pass. Okay, what's that mean? And it, it's, a, it's a media pass that has the highest clearance possible. And um, you, you really vetted. Because you're with the Queen and Duke, you know, pretty well all all the time they're awake. Right alongside them. You're right along, literally as close as we are. Right. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you if you could give me a little space because you're you're, yeah, you're pretty close. You're pretty I close. I thought you liked it. Nothing. Well, well, yeah. okay. Yeah, just little, little space is okay. So continue. Oh, okay. You don't I'll, have I'll an all access pass here. Yeah, I'll go move, ahead. I'll yeah. No, no, we talked about that. I need you close to the microphone. All right. Um, so I covered that, and there were three of us covering it. So I, yeah, I was with them every day for days, and they never acknowledged my existence. Really? But I was a bit of a rebel in those. I had longish hair, and I wore jeans. And I was frowned upon. I didn't follow the protocols. You wore in jeans around the the Queen around and the Queen, Prince yeah. Philip. Yeah. Oh, oh my that's gosh. impressive. That is yeah. impressive. You were a and, rebel. And they, uh, yeah. They they never acknowledged my existence. Once. Interesting. Maybe if you dressed better. And they're pretty. They're pretty boring. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Not a barrel of laughs. Not a barrel. But yeah. but it must have been an amazing opportunity though professionally. It was. I got yeah. into trouble from my office. The the chief executive of the the local authority that I work for. Uh, <laughs> It was, it was outside Nottingham, and of course all the local dignitaries were in, lined up to receive the Queen, and the CEO from my local authority is right at the end of the receiving line, and he sees me walking along with the Queen, <laughs> and he was beside himself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He was so angry, and he called me into the office and said, "Yeah, I've, I've got to give you an ultimatum. You've got to decide whether you're going to remain a city planner or you're going to be a photographer." Said that this has got to stop. But I thought that was the point. I I thought you just said you were supposed to be alongside them documenting this. So what was you were just too close? You mean or the fact that he wasn't? Oh, he was was jealous. He was jealous. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I remember giving a talk at a Rotary Club once that he was attending, Uh and I was the guest of honor. Yeah. And uh, he was. That didn't go well either. Yeah. He he just didn't like that. So so he he did give me an ultimatum, and yeah, it was the right decision. So that's when you made the jump. No. No. No, it was a big. It was a big jump to make because as a local government officer, I got six weeks vacation a year, paid. Mm. I got a two percent, a two percent mortgage, a free car loan, wow, uh, a decent pension at the end of it, or it seemed decent at the time. I guess had I stayed, that would have been okay. Right, and very little responsibility. Hell, I was working for politicians. Sounds good to me. Yeah. But and then it's, it's really it boring. Lot, it, seriously, it's a lot to give up, Matthew. So and my dad thought I was crazy. You know, he grew up during the Depression, and he thought I was totally right. Security, crazy. security. Yeah. Yep. So what got you to give that up? What got you to give up that security? Passion. Yep. Tell me more about that. Oh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to go to so a song now. Shall I go now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was great having you here today. Great having you here today, but. But you can be passionate about something. You already were passionate about it, right? You just got done telling me you've always done photography. So you already were and passionate about it. But that's very different from then saying, I'm going to give up this security and, I think and I make this my life. I was 36 years old and realized I had to make a move. You know, you, you know, I really, really wanted to do it. And I became a travel photographer because it's all I knew how to do. Well, that was my next question is why travel photography yeah, out of all the different be, kinds you could have done? It's, it's not easy. But it is relatively, technically it's easy. And what do you mean by that? You don't have to know about lighting. You don't work in a studio, which would drive me crazy anyway. Um, You're on location and you're shooting things that you see. You have to develop a good eye. You have to have some almost journalistic, um, journalistic interest because you're telling stories. And I enjoy that. I really like that. It's changed dramatically since those days. Okay, uh, you've just hit on, yes, three things that I want to talk about. I don't want to go to how it's changed yet, because that's another section. But 
since you touched on this, tell me about, so you just said it's easy, which is really interesting. And I get that you're not in a studio. And so you're kind of more relying on just what's out there. But how do you take a good photo? Even when you're out there, what, what are the main things that you look for? What are the, what, tell me, I know that you do a lot of workshops and, and you also do tours. So when you're out in the field, how are you, how does the it The main thing you? is learning to look at light. Mm -hmm. Light is critical. Yep. Um, and that's, you, you have to work at it. You know, I always tell students, that the analogy I give is like picking up a violin and expecting to make beautiful music the minute you pick it up. With cameras, it's deceptively simple. Anyone can pick a camera up and make a decent photograph. You know, one time out of 500. Well, make, I should, not decent, but a good photograph. Particularly with technology You now. can make a decent photograph with much greater frequency than that. But to get really good, you have to practice. Mm -hmm. You have to know how your camera is going to see. It's not enough just to buy a camera and shoot with it. You have to know how the camera is going to record the scene, mm -hmm. how it's going to record light and dark, how it's going to record different lighting effects how the controls of the camera work. And you have to get to the stage where the camera is part of you. You don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. The camera gets in the way of photography. Okay. You want to be able to concentrate fully on the subject, be fully conscious of what's going on in front of you, be looking around continually, and um, being conscious of a number of different things. Always scanning the edge of the frame mm -hmm. to make sure there's nothing included in the photograph you don't want there. Yep. But it's basically becoming very familiar with your equipment so that you can forget about it. As soon as you have to think about your equipment and think about setting controls, you're going to miss the moment. And so the idea, though, is that you're still doing that. You're still setting the controls. You're still using filters, this, that, and the other. But you've become so intimately connected with you the equipment, you're not thinking about it. It's intuitive. Right. Yeah. I have a friend who was a fighter pilot, and he basically said the same thing about his relationship with with his with his jet yeah. is that it just became an extension of himself because he knew it so intimately yeah i find the same thing when i'm flying fighters right exactly yeah, yeah. and yeah. we talked about that earlier yeah, yeah. yeah um so something so a couple other things so i was looking at your portfolios yeah, unfortunately people are going to believe that <laughs> one, of the big, one of the big problems i have i come out with the most outrageous comments in the states and i'm you know, because I've got an English accent, people believe, people believe you. People yeah. believe me. I think we might have that in common, even though I don't have the British accent. Yeah, well, I've worked on my British accent. If you I'm, say, I'm, well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, because you're I'm, actually I'm from, from Louisville, from, Kentucky. No, I'm you're from, actually I'm, from, I'm, I'm from. I'm Alabama. I'm from oh, Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I thought I, you were from I Louisville. Of, I watched a lot of PBS. Yeah. And really worked on the accent. Masterpiece Theater yeah. and, yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. Downton Abbey and all those. Paid off big time. No, I will say, for the longest time after we met, I actually thought you were British. Which was pretty, and that doesn't, you know, most people can't pull it up, pull it off for that long. So that was, that was impressive. But I was looking at continuing this, um, you know, about the art of photography because I know so many people who are listening are curious, you know, obviously to hear your thoughts on that, and they probably already have. But I want to go a little deeper. You talked about light, which is obviously key. Yeah, That's but when fundamental. I was fundamental, fundamental, as is the framing. And I think a lot of people yeah. overlook the framing, actually, at least amateurs. Yeah. it seems like they kind of focus on they find their object. And they kind of focus on that, and then they might cut things off, or there's things well, down I on think the edges. The big, the big advantage I've had over current photo photographers who've got into the business in the last 10, 15 years yep. is that I learned on film. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I was sent into the field. The first big job I did for Geographic, I had 300 rolls of film, and I had no idea what I got on that film. And I had to ship it back to D.C. Right. where they processed it. And I had no idea what I'd got. Remind so, me where that was because I remember you telling this story. Where, where was that first? D.C. is on the, near the East Coast. 
Oh, Was- DC's- Washington DC. Oh, the District of. Yes. Yeah. No. Where was the, where was the film? You had the, all these rolls of film. The and District of Cincinnati. Is District of Cincinnati. Yeah, I've D- been there actually. DC, yeah. I've been there. Okay, continue. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. No, where was this first assignment that you were talking about where you had was 500 to, rolls of film and you had to send it back? It was, it was to Pakistan, the Karakoram the Mountains of Pakistan. Oh, and that is, of course, where you have the story that was just in Hidden Compass, which we'll talk about. Yeah. That's where Bob was held captive and had to flee for his life. That's one thing you're doing so hence now. The Aretha, yeah. Hence the Aretha song. <laughs> I'm about to flee anyway. You can't. I've locked the door. I've got oh, like I've got it. one of these things here behind the desk where I can I can control the door. Um, light. We talked about frame. Oh, but actually, I want to touch on something you just touched on. Film. Yeah. Most people, as you just got done saying, most people today they it's all digital. They didn't have yeah. to learn, yeah. and so much is done for them. Do you miss film? Are there? I mean, there must be advantages oh, I, to film, I, I but then it's a pain I, in the ass. I can't believe I ever used it. It was a pain in the ass carrying it. Really? Okay, yeah. yeah because you had to go, you know, three or four hundred rolls of film. And it's I a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Physically, it's a lot. Right. Um, you had to have your exposure right on the nail. Mm-hmm. If your exposure is off, you're screwed. Right. So you had to be very precise with exposure, which means you had technique had to be honed. So it was really down. You had to make sure that everything that you needed was in the frame. Um, you could crop, I guess, with film, but I always shot to fill the frame as much as possible, mm. which was both a blessing and a mistake. Sometimes I missed um, usages because I didn't have enough space around the image okay. to allow designers to put type over. Um, but generally, it was it was the discipline of having to be very precise and accurate. It was good for your education, yeah, but education. never again. No, I can't. Right. Be- I can't believe I went to Pakistan, for example. That's crazy. With three hundred rolls of film, right? They paid for me to be there for three months. Right, three months. Oh, and wow. I, and I, I did a, well. All, all my major life shooting for magazines, was I was sent film. to expensive places all around the world with a big expense account, a bunch of film. And I'd shoot the film and not have a clue what I got. Yeah. Now you can look at the back of your camera, you know immediately. Yeah. If you haven't got it, you shoot it again. Yeah. So I want to go to how the industry has changed because that isn't happening. What you just described isn't happening so much today. But I want to finish because otherwise I'm going to forget light framing. But I was looking at your portfolios on your website. And so also I want to say to anyone who's listening, go to Bob's website, which is uh, robertholmesphotography.com. And I'll say that again at the end of, of this segment. And check out his, his portfolios. He's got India, Cuba, Myanmar, Portraits, and Wine Country. I think those are all the five of the portfolios yeah. you have up, more or less. Yeah, that's only because yeah, I'm lazy. I I, yeah, and it, and it shows on the website, but I mean, at least there's some pictures. Yeah, but the, you've laziness, got, the laziness. Yeah, the laziness shows, shows is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So you got light, you got framing. But I noticed you've got two other elements that really stood out for me, not being a photographer, not having studied, but just as the casual observer. Color. I mean, that's yep. obviously, and it sounds like perhaps, I mean, light also sounds perhaps obvious, but, but color, I noticed, you know, a lot of your shots, the colors, like you might just choose one color, for example, like maybe, maybe the, the most of the picture isn't particularly colorful, but then you've kind of honed on, honed in on, on one element that is. And so that stands out. So what about color? In, well, how do you, th- what are you talking about? That's, I call that punctuation. Uh-huh. Okay. A good shot needs some punctuation. Usually it's. It, it can be either a little person, it can be a splash of color, but it needs that needs that punctuation to bring it alive. Yep. Um, 
colour, it's ironic, really, that I started off as a black and white photographer. Did you? I shot black and white landscapes. Interesting. And, uh, Is that Ansel Adams' influence there? Or no, just, just before chance, I ever heard of Before Ansel. you met him? And, yeah. In fact, when I met Ansel, I didn't really know who he was because he wasn't that well-known in England. Okay. He was iconic in the States, but he was just this old guy that shot landscapes. Interesting. And yeah, I liked him. We got on well. Yeah. And I think it helped not being intimidated by him. Mm-hmm. I just... You know, I just met him as another photographer. Right, you weren't starstruck. And no, I wasn't starstruck at all. Right, right, right. Um, but I used to, I was very instrumental in a, a photography group called Midland Group Photography in England. I was one of the founder members. Midland Group was a group of artists that was connected to uh, people like, um, his name escapes me, oh, the great British painter from Los Angeles. Ah, oh, how could I forget? <laughs> I don't know. The greatest living English painter. Uh, I think Mick Jagger paints. Is that Mick Jagger? No, Ron, Ron Wood. Ron Wood paints. Ron Wood paints. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, it must be Ron Wood. Ronnie Wood. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, you know, I mean, oh, it'll come to me. Okay, anyway, we'll edit it. We'll edit yeah, this later. But he was involved in this Midland group, which okay. is mainly a group of painters. And I suggested that we started a photography group because I was so into photography yep. and a, a gallery just opened in London called the Photographer's Gallery which is the first gallery of, photographer in the U, of photography in the UK and they had a bookstore and I bought a copy of Edward Weston's Day Books and I was just absolutely blown away mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it changed my whole world Wow! and um, yeah, I worked in black and white for years as a black and white shooter mm-hmm. But um, then I started working commercially in the States, and everybody wanted color. Mm-hmm. So I in- inevitably transferred over to color. And I was that a hard transition? No, not really. No? No. Yeah. It, looking at my early color work, it wasn't super strong, but it, I didn't find it hard. I mean, yeah. through naivety. Yeah. I should have found it hard. You should have. You should have found it hard. Yeah. yeah. You probably yeah. didn't really engage the way you should have at the time, but clearly yeah. it worked out. But then color... Yeah, I love color now. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. colors are. And, uh, but although at home, the photographs on my walls at home are all black and white. Interesting. Mainly from friends. Interesting. You know, got, they're all black and white. I've got a lot of black and white. So shows. why is that? I love black and white as a yeah. as a medium. I and still love black and white. But why do you love it? Because black does and white has a certain gravitas mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. color doesn't. Yeah. Color can be too pictorial, too much like calendar art. Whereas there's a certain gravitas about a black and white print. It looks important, even if it isn't. <laughs> Very true. And it seems as if, tell me if you if you think this is more or less true, but it seems as if in black and white photo, because you don't have the colors almost sort of distracting you, the light takes that much more of a, a prominent role in, in the composition, or not necessarily? Not necessarily. Yeah. No, it can be graphics. So are you saying I'm Light's wrong? Just one of, light's obviously a fundamental element, because without light you're not going to get any photographs. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to get photographs in a... In a black coal mine with the lights turned off. (laughs) Although with modern cameras, it's amazing what you can do. Ah, yeah, that's a whole other. But you still need light. It has to be light of some form. So that is fundamental. But um, there are more. There's far more to it than that. Okay. And you know, for if anybody is interested in getting tips about photography, uh, look at my Instagram site because I'm posting on Instagram regularly, and every time I post, I try and give a little bit of photographic advice. Yep. Yep. Um, And I find that's. That's received very well. Well, I noticed that it was received really well, and I was gonna I was gonna mention that as well because I think 
everybody is out there posting these pictures left and right, and it's always nice just to see the pictures, certainly. But I, I did appreciate the fact that you're you're including those con- that commentary, those tips, that, that sort of the behind the scenes, what went into the photography or the photograph that yeah. you just posted. And I saw that you're getting you know great responses. And I'm sure you're thinking, you know, these photographs suck, but the tips are good. Well, I just I didn't know yeah. why people thought they were that big a deal. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean. Yeah, There's so much can, already out there. I can understand you. You know, it's oh great, more yeah. pictures, and he's going to talk about them because yeah. like I've got time to read all but, your you descriptions. Know, be, I really don't. You know, I don't know who does. Eyesight, you know, are quite common. You don't don't worry about it, Matthew. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to get glasses. Strong glasses would help a lot. Yeah. The other element and that my, I noticed. My, my, Instagram site, by yeah, the way, yeah. is Bob Holmes' photo. Yes. That's important. If, if you put something <laughs> else in, mine won't come up. Yeah, so it's weird. Be- I don't know. You, you use your different name on all your stuff. It's very, it's very confusing. You're really hard to track down that way. Why isn't it Robert, at Robert Holmes? Your, your website's Robert Holmes Photography, which is, first of all, the longest URL ever. But then you got to go to Bob for then, the Instagram. It's very I've, confusing. I've, yeah. And then you've got Mobile Homes. Mobile, that's so my, Bob's, that's my blog. Bob's blog is called Mobile Homes which is actually a great play on words, but it's such a great play on words. I'm embarrassed to admit, I went to his blog and I thought I had gone to a mobile home site. <laughs> Seriously, because you've got a picture of a mobile home there, right? On, didn't you, or on the top, I think, am I making that up? No, I think that's a mobile home site. I think you had a mobile home there. I don't know. Anyway, mobile homes. So he's got lots of sites. He's got um, Richard Avedon, robertholmesphotography.com, <laughs> at Bob Holmes Photographer. Photographer? What is it on Instagram? Uh, you don't Bob, even know. Bob Holmes Photo. Okay, there you Bob go. Bob Holmes Photo. Thank God. And then um, Mobile Homes is the blog. Okay, but we're not done with the conversation. The other element that I noticed <laughs> oh, is... Already. Okay, but we've only got 10 <laughs> minutes, so we're not going to talk about photography anymore. I mean, we are, uh, but I have too many other things I want to talk to you about. So this is a more uh, philosophical. So we, we talked about a little bit about how you got into travel photography, basically because it was easy. Uh, but something that something that I wanted to ask you about that's sort of related to photography, sort of not, but it is related to travel and adventure is preceding your article that you just wrote in Hidden Compass, which again, like I said, I want, I want to talk about if we have time, but whether we do or not, I want to just mention the quote that was at the top of your article in Hidden Compass magazine, which is out now online, hiddencompass.net. There's a quote that said, and I assume you put this here, but maybe not. Uh, it might have been the, the editors. The word, so quote, the word adventure has gotten overused. For me, when, any, when everything goes wrong, that's when adventure starts. And that's from Yvonne Chouinard, who is an American rock climber, environmentalist, and founder of clothing and gear company Patagonia. So how much of the attraction for you to travel photography was about adventure and do things, do, do you agree with that quote? I mean, you, presumably well, you put the quote there. I didn't put the quote oh, You there. didn't put the quote there. No, okay. Sivani put Interesting. the quote there. Well, you know, you, know, you know why I thought it was probably you is because he's a climber. And I know that you were a climber, even though we no, haven't I talked about that yet. No, I thought it was a great yet. quote. But I put another quote there. The quote I put there was, having an adventure shows that someone is incompetent, that something <laughs> has gone wrong. An adventure is interesting enough in retrospect, especially to the person who didn't have it. At the time it happens, it usually constitutes an exceedingly disagreeable experience. Interesting. And that was a quote from a guy called Wilhelm Stefansson. Well said. Who was an Arctic explorer who was born William Stevenson in Manitoba. And um, 
you know, not many people have heard of him, and I think changing his name from William <laughs> to <laughs> whatever it is yeah. didn't help a lot. It didn't help. No, uh-uh. it really didn't help. No, but he's a very in the early 1900s a very well known Arctic explorer. Okay, so but um, let's talk about the sentiment here to both of these quotes because the sentiment's the same. Yours yeah, is just exactly much more long winded, which is thank God Savani came in and found a shorter one. <laughs> but so so what is that? This idea that adventure only happens when something bad happens. That otherwise and. Well, and something goes wrong. Yeah, something bad, yeah. And it's... it's You know, I have a hard time with so-called adventure travel these mm-hmm. days. Uh-huh. It's not adventure travel at all. If it's adventure travel, they'd be out of business. Yep, yep, yep. You know, adventure is something you don't want to happen. Right. And I've never been on a trip where I've wanted it to happen. Right, right. Well, and, and I talked about this when we were talking about your article when Savani and uh, Sabine were on, specifically talked about that, how you were having a legitimate adventure and now there's sort of this industry that sprung up around that to sort of emulate those sort of legitimate experiences that not only did you have, but you weren't seeking out. They just happened. Yeah. Well, yes, the real adventure, you you never seek it out. Right. And if you don't have, you know, it's like mountain climbing books. If If a climb goes perfectly, it's boring as hell. There's nothing to talk about. It's the adventure element that makes things interesting. So you do want to have adventures. You don't. You don't want it to happen personally, but it <laughs> certainly enhances the story once you get back. So, so it's it's, right. it's it's you know it's a dilemma. You certainly don't want. I've been in several situations that I wouldn't wish to repeat. But you're glad they happened because they're great stories, and and you. Yeah, in retrospect, yeah, I couldn't have written. I couldn't have written that story for. Uh, Hidden compass, right? Had things not gone wrong, but when you set out on one of these expeditions to some place like the Himalaya or some of these more remote um, places, particularly back then, like in that, in that earlier on, so you're kind of torn because you're not setting out for something to go wrong. But when something does go wrong, then there's that excitement, there's the adrenaline. When you're, but then when your life's in danger, it's horrible while you're experiencing it. But then after the fact, it's a great story. So again, it is sort of a catch twenty two. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Because that's my whole Morocco book. It's horrible things that happen, and a lot of reviewers would say, "Well, these are funny, but they're probably only funny after the fact," and that's very much true. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think about going to new places that make me a little uncomfortable, that are a little, I have that that same mixed feeling of. Well, I'm a little nervous to go, but I want to go. I don't want those kind of experiences to happen again, but at the same time, they they are the exciting stories afterwards. So it's it depends. It's it weird. Depends on the experience. <laughs> right. Right. Life threatening ones. I don't enjoy too much. Right. <laughs> okay. So I wasn't going to go here yet, but since we're on the subject, so you for Hidden Compass, you wrote the story where you were um, you were on an exhibition in the Himalaya in the part the Kara. I just remember Karakoram. Karakoram Mountains, which is where present-day Afghanistan, China, Pakistan, and India come together, and it's hard to imagine that being a dangerous area. But <laughs> you escaped, so you were taken captive, and you escaped only to be chased down a mountainside and spend the night in a cave. <laughs> so It's a bit like today. It's a bit like yeah, today. Yeah. yeah, we are in a basement, <laughs> and you did have to run the gauntlet to get here from, yeah. yeah. Uh so first of all, I would just like to say, let's, I don't know that I want to talk too much about that story because it is in hiddencompass.net and, but there, are there, tell us about some other similar experiences that while you were living them, because I'm sure you've had some others that of, of that nature where in hindsight, they make great stories, but at the time you were, um, well, yeah, traveling in, traveling in mountains is always potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. 
the first trip I made was in 67 to the Hindu Kush okay. in Afghanistan. And the person that I was with disappeared at a very high camp. Really? We all, we all got to a high camp at about 18,000 feet uh, l- late one afternoon and we a- went, wandered around. We wandered around um, sort of exploring on our own. He never made it back to camp. For never dinner. made it back? Never made it back. Oh, wow. Uh, we searched for him the next day. Well, we went out that night. It was so dark. We, it's hopeless. Right. Uh, we searched for him the next day. I went on horseback from a port, a portable a couple of horses up and we searched for him and later that day we found his backpack washed up by a river oh and we we think that he was swept away when the river was in spate in the late afternoon mm-hmm. all the meltwater coming down mm. uh, but his body was never found mm. um the f- couple of years later i was in kurdistan on the Iraqi-Turkish border mm-hmm. and put under house arrest and had all my film confiscated. Really? And we got it back a year later. Oh, wow. You got it back. Yeah. Coincidentally, when that woman in that big house in uh, London yeah. made an official visit to Turkey. Oh, what a coincidence. Uh, and it, yeah, isn't she it? must have remembered you. Yes. <laughs> She's like, wait, that's that guy who wore jeans and yeah. had long hair. Yeah. 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 Okay. But it, it miraculously appeared at Birmingham Airport. Wow. And it's I shooting sixty millimeter film for a BBC program, and um, the Turks confiscated everything because it's a very sensitive area. Yes. And I stupidly yes, had written Kurds over all the film cans. That was stupid. You know, Kurdish encampment. That was stupid. Yeah, I lived in Turkey for a year. I have some insight yeah, into that was, yeah. That was stupid. That was stupid. You, you, know, you, you learned so succinctly. You learned stupid. <laughs> God, for someone who's been all over the place, but, I would think you would know better. Well, that was in '67. Yeah, well, you still sort of know. I was young and naive. And stupid. And stupid. And stupid. (laughs) So there have been a few occasions like that where things have not gone exactly as uh, hoped. Well, and that's a good example of the stories don't always have great endings. I mean, that's that's not one where you look back on that one and say, oh, but, you know, I'm so glad I went through that. That's just quite, that's just tragic end of story. I've got the film. They sent the film back. From uh, Kurdistan. Yeah, Yeah. in fact, I've I've Did you do anything with it? No, it's ruined. Yeah. It'd been stored under high temperatures. Oh, so you got the film back, but it was no good. It's no good. No. Yeah. Um, so speaking of writing, I just want to touch on this for a second because I there's too much to talk to you about with regards to photography, obviously. But since we're on the subject, why writing? What? Uh, I mean, photography is your thing. Why did you want to start writing? And is this Hidden Compass article was this was this your first time? Was this a one time thing, or is this something you want to do more of? I'm just curious. No, I enjoy writing. Yeah. It's sort of this romantic idea of, you know, being on my own in a garret somewhere writing the great British novel. Mm-hmm. But, well, Savani but told I, me I, that... I, I, I was a columnist for a magazine called The Traveller. Okay. Before National... Ge- oh, Condé Nast, I think, stole the title. Okay. But I wrote a regular column. Oh, you did? Okay, so this years. wasn't your first go at and it. And being a columnist was a pain in the ass because, you know, I had to produce... On time to deadlines. Yeah. And I'm not good at that. Yeah. So why did why Hidden Compass? Because you had that particular story you wanted to tell? or uh, Not really, no. It just came about over lunch with Sivani, who's okay. the founder of the... the well, at the book passage, you know, I'm, I'm... The conference. I'm co-chair of the conference at the book passage. I'm the photography chair. And Sivani came into one of the sessions I was giving and made announcements about the magazine she was doing and asking for 
ideas from people. And I just said, oh, I'd potentially be interested in doing something. We yep. had lunch. Yep. And we were talking about possible story angles. And she liked this one. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's so, a great story. It's definitely a great story. And I've, I've learned, you know, my kids, my older daughter particularly, Emma, is always asking me to write about my experiences. Yeah. Because I never talk about them. Exactly. Normally. I have that same experience. And uh, yep. it, it's sort of a way to document my life. I think it is because I think it's really difficult when you come back from these trips, particularly the kind of trips that you're having. Um, but when you go to places that people around you, it just might be so foreign from their experiences. They're not necessarily travelers. They're not necessarily going on these sorts of adventures. You come back and usually, you know, they'll ask you a little bit about it, but you can only kind of go so far. Yeah. It's, you know, we have both of us happen yep. to have a lot of friends that are in the business. Right. So it's easy to talk about stuff that we've all experienced because yes. we all travel internationally continually. Right. Um, but most people have no, absolutely no relationship to that kind of life. Yep, yep. Uh, so, and uh, and to be honest, I find a lot of the things I've done are really not that exceptional. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even, even this flight down a valley in the Himalayas, it wasn't really that exceptional. It How was, was it not exceptional? You mean the, compared the to being what? Being chased by a bunch of angry villagers, <laughs> I guess, was a little bit out of the ordinary. It doesn't happen much. I would say so. It doesn't happen in Marin very often. Rarely does. Um, the villages in Marin are much more benign. Yeah, I find them the so. The Fairfaxians, yeah. the yeah. San Anselmans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but really, it's, you know, I find a lot of things. That one of the books I have a problem with is The Snow Leopard by Peter Madison. Okay. And Don George thinks it's one of his favorite books. Yeah. You know, I've been to the area that Madison went to. Right. And it really is, to me, his book was grossly exaggerated. Mm -hmm. I'm sure in his mind, that was how he felt when he went there. Right. But anyone that's traveled in big mountains in the Himalaya, it was pretty ordinary. It was, and you know, I, I feel that about the things I've done. They're really not that special. Anybody could be dropped into those situations and do what I've done. But not most people do, and that's kind of what makes them special, right? So no, I'm, most I'm curious, don't, right? So I'm they, curious they about this, this this idea, though, because I think it's a really interesting. One, I mean, I don't know if what you're saying is, you know, when you're there in the moment, you know, sometimes I'll go to places that are kind of more far flung along the lines of what we're talking about, not quite as far flung as what is, is the Las Himalaya, Ve Las Vegas, like Vegas, yeah. Vega, love Vegas, spend yeah. a lot of time in Vegas. I Dangerous. get a lot of writing done it can be in very Vegas. Dangerous. Yeah. yeah, you have to be careful in Vegas. But when you're there, it's just as sort of quote unquote normal or common or whatever you're how you, how you're kind of phrasing it as as right here. Oh, I don't and, think Vegas is normal at all. Okay. Yeah. Is that, but is, but is that what you're talking about when you're saying it's not exceptional, it's not that big a deal, is that when you're in the moment, you're just, you're in a mountain and it's happening, like, because no one else is listening unless someone has actually had a similar experience. No one else is going to agree with you that that's really not that big a deal. It's Anybody not that uncommon. Anybody that's done it will yeah. realize it's not that big a deal, which yeah. is why adventure travel work. You know, there's no adventure in adventure travel, yeah. except you go to places that people think of as being adventurous. Yes. And when they get there, everything goes smoothly. Because it's all planned for them. It's all, pl it's all planned for them. They right. come home alive right. instead of in a box. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's really anybody can do it yes. as, long as, as long as they're mobile. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, really, it, it really isn't that exceptional. I've never really talked about it that much or written about it because mm. I've always felt that. Yep. I almost feel it's fraudulent to to project something as being this incredible adventure when in my heart of hearts I don't think it has been. 
necessarily. You know, hmm. I took a group of people up to uh, in Bhutan. Andrea and I, yeah, um, you know, lead photography workshops. Yes, Lumaria. Lumaria Workshops dot com. Yep. Spelled L U M A R I A. I got it. It'll be it'll be shouted out at the end of the segment. Don't worry, that'll be your third URL that we're throwing out. I got it. I got we, it in my notes. Yep. And we took a group to um, high up in the Bhutanese Himalaya. Uh huh. This was two years ago. Yeah, you know, and I'm decrepit. As I know. You well know. I didn't yeah. know you could even. I didn't know you were still traveling. Well, yeah, I have to use my walker. Yeah, which is difficult on some of those mountains. Well, in the Himalaya, yeah, but they've yeah. got they've got adapt they've got ones with shocks and things like that, yes. right? So you're you're set. Yeah, but it was, you know, it was hard, it was hard going because of altitude, and but everybody made it. You know, the people in our group who hadn't done anything like that before to any degree, and everybody made it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. No, there were no. Dramatic incidences, apart from unbelievably heavy snowstorm one night. Uh-huh. The snowed us in and closed one of the passes, but we dealt with it. Yeah, you, you deal with it. Yep, yep. So, so let's see. Where do I want to go next? Um, I think I want to talk about because we have a little bit of time. Because I want to talk about your workshops. Maybe we'll just talk about that since they just came up. So, you guys, I looked at your site and I saw that uh, last year. Let me scroll down here. Uh, you had at least two. I think you went to uh, we had three last year. Vietnam and Cuba. Cuba, Vietnam, and Cambodia. And Cambodia. Yeah. Okay. And then wine country. You also do the wine country yeah, because was, you do tours and workshops, and there's, yeah, there's, there's a difference a, there. There's a big difference. A workshop, you have the opportunity to give people feedback by looking at their work, and it's a much more intimate experience. A tour is more. Um, a guided trip to get people into the best place to get the best photographs with help on the way. Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk to them on the bus or the, over lunch or over dinner. But more casual. But it's, it's more of a holistic experience, mm-hmm. I guess. And when you're on a workshop, I, I don't want to spend too much time looking at other photographs because people are in an exotic place. You don't want to go to Vietnam and sit in a room listening to me. Right. You want to be out experiencing It's hard Vietnam. enough to do that here. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. I can't imagine you, having to do it in Vietnam. You're looking forward to this hour being up. Well, and thank God keep, we're coming close. Coming close. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at the watch. Yeah. You know I'm I am. Sorry, you've still got five minutes Whew. to go. I, no, well, actually, um, I've got um, I've got uh, four minutes. Oh, really? Damn yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, that's, three basic, and a half that's now. basically the difference. After that pause. And we're doing another one. Another one coming up is to Cuba, to eastern Cuba in uh, December. Okay. And then um, you said potential India, Iceland, and Argentina in 2019. Poten- Those are just potential. Potential. We're thinking now of, there's a very strong possibility we're going to Mongolia. Oh, that's and high on my list. to Tanya about, is, is it Tanya that's been there? Oh, no, it was Diane Lebeau. Diane Lebeau has Lebeau's been there. Been to, and spent know, quite a bit of time there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go to the Altai Mountains and yep. the west of uh, the west of the country. And that those border Kazakhstan, yeah, I think, yeah, right? That's where yeah. all the Kazakhs are. Yeah, and the eagle hunters. Yes, I want to go see that because I think I'm going to go. Visually, I'm going, getting ready to go to Central Asia. Visually, that's stunning. I've never been. I've never been to Tibet. Yeah, I've been all around Tibet, but never been into Tibet. Okay, so that's on the cards for next year. We're also looking at Ecuador. Um, that's a very strong possibility. And sometime, place you like Morocco. Yes. I spent a lot of time in Morocco. Have you? I used to go every year. Oh, yeah. When I lived in England, I could drive down. Well, it's kind of the Florida um, of Europe. I know Morocco really, really well. Yeah. Well, it's diverse. Yeah. The great thing is you've got the you know, the, the royal cities, mm-hmm. the four the cities. Five. 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 I think, isn't it? Four. 
Marrakesh, I think it's five Royal Series. Fez, Meknes, and Rabat, which uh, is the fifth. Okay. Let's see. You said, you said, uh, okay, Meknes, Fez, Marrakesh, Marrakesh Rabat. Rabat. Maybe it's only four. It is only four. Uh, I don't, I, Trust me. Okay. Trust me on this, Matthew. I've been saying five for years, but I can't oh, come up with wrong. a fifth. So. You're wrong. Yeah. I hate to break it to you, though. Yeah. You know, that See, suddenly. this is why you're on, though. I've, I, yeah. I feel like I've learned so much. Oh, yeah. I've learned so much today. <laughs> um, so, so uh, Morocco. So, tell me, wh- where's your main go-to place in Morocco? Do you have one? You just... I love the anti-Atlas. Okay. Anything south of the Atlas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarodon, you know, the food, mm-hmm. those areas. The coast I like, Safi. Esuera. Esuera, beautiful place. Yep, yep. Big Visually surfing stunning. destination. Yep, yep. And of course, Marrakesh inevitably, although Marrakesh is a bit of a zoo. I haven't been for a long time, but yeah, the last workshop I taught there, I think, was in the 80s, late 80s. It's time to go back. I haven't been for probably about 10 years, yeah. so maybe I'll go well, in here. The only language I speak other than English and a little bit of American yep. is French. So I, I can well, that's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect for Morocco. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke Spanish mostly in the north and then French in the bottom two-thirds. Yeah. So, <sighs> Mr. Holmes. Bon. We are out c'est of time. C'est tout, malheureusement. Moi, j'ai très bon. envie de continuer euh, avec ça, mais malheureusement, il, y a, il ne reste pas de temps. Yeah? Okay. Mr. Holmes, thank à you very much for being here. À la prochaine fois. À la prochaine. And uh, don't go anywhere. I'm, we're going to go to a break, and then we will be back with uh, Susan Violante. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you. Thanks for being here. No, thank you for being here. No, thank you. No, thank you. It was great having you. Thank you. Thanks to you for listening today. If you liked what you heard, please help me spread the word. On my show page, you'll see many ways to share on social media. If you see a post on Facebook for an upcoming show that sounds good, please share that. It all really helps, and I really appreciate it. For more about me, my website is matthewfelix.com, and links to my social media books, audiobooks, other podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. Last but not least, if you have any comments, show ideas, or just want to say hello, you can email me at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, have a great week.